It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. You know, to be honest, I'm not quite sure how to headline or describe this evening's program. And I don't want any funny suggestions from you lot either, because I know what form they'll take. But on a serious note, let's just say a number of people from different walks of life have joined me to make observations, to offer help in some shape or form that you may find comforting or helpful in these troubled and unprecedented times. For instance, we have words of positivity and encouragement from Michael Healy Ray in Kilgarvan. In January last, I paid a visit to the Heritage Centre in the Convent of Mercy in Charleville. Little did we know then what would be facing us in two months' time. Well, Sister Maria Bernadette rejoins us again, but on this occasion, to speak about our spirit of resilience, about surges of love and kindness, life at present in the convent, and if we are lucky enough to own a garden, then we should embrace it with all our strength. Liz Carroll, based publican, farmer and poet, Philip Egan is back with me, as is Edwin Heathcote, to offer help to those settling into a term of working from home. And from the Bandon Parish, I'm joined by the parish priest, Father John Kingston. So, something for everybody. Take what you will from it. But firstly, I hope sincerely you had a safe and healthy week. Good evening and welcome to Where the Road Takes Me. Most, if not all, radio programs are mentioning it, and rightly so. Therefore, before we begin this evening, let's give our own Bula Boss to the wonderful people we refer to as healthcare workers in all departments. Let us pay tribute to the wonderful work that they do at great risk to their personal safety, and that risk is borne out by the number who have contracted the coronavirus and unfortunately died from it. So, to all, we salute your steely determination, commitment and courage on the program this evening. But firstly, Edwin Heathcote is the architecture critic with the Financial Times newspaper, and you met him on the programme last week. His entire career has been spent working from home. He believes that while people will return to the traditional workplace when this is safe to do so, there are people out there who will find working from home pretty attractive and would like to continue it in the future. I think there are one or two ways in which this might go after COVID-19. One is that everyone goes exactly back to normal. They, they, after being kind of caged up, everyone's suffering from kind of cabin fever and just launches back into the pub and the workplace with a kind of renewed gusto and does everything in a much more communal way than even before. Or people might think, well, this isn't so bad. You know, this is, this is not bad. There, there, are, there are a lot of advantages of it. You see your family a lot more. I mean, I, I know that you're phoning from the, the south of Ireland, which is a very different situation to London, where I am. But life is, is tough in London. People live in very small spaces. They commute a lot. Uh, and, and, of course, it's hyper expensive. And I 
wonder actually whether people might think this is this is not so bad. Maybe we should all work from home one day a week, two days a week. Some people go to their their holiday homes. Maybe you could regard the weekend as a holiday and expand that bit. Maybe work on on Thursday and Friday from home, or Friday and Monday. So I, I wonder whether there might be a subtle shift, a bit of a change in in people's working patterns, and they think, well, you know, maybe we don't need to be in the office every day. So employers and employees might find a lot of uh, attractions in all of this at a later stage. Yeah, I mean, it's it's quite remarkable how smooth the change has been. So the, the Financial Times, for instance, the last issue of the Financial Times was the first ever to be printed with not a single person in the office. And the newspapers are always seen as the kind of industry where really you, you have to be together, particularly a newsroom. I mean, it's a buzzing place with people shouting ideas across, throwing bits of paper and, um, you know, constantly meeting, huddling, because you've got, to, you've got to discuss this stuff. But it turns out, actually, you don't necessarily have to be together. Uh, it can be all of these things can be done you know, using technology remotely. And, it, and that's, I think, been a surprise to people. Your work desk, you described it in the Financial Times as being the battleground or the control centre, and you advise people not to be tempted by these flat-pack versions. Yeah, I do, and it sounds a little snobby, uh, <laughs> but I'm, I am a little snobby about desks. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a snob in, in, in other things, but I, I spent quite a lot of money getting an old, uh, a kind of 1960s, early 1960s uh, teak desk, which is far too big. It's always been too big for any room it's, it's ever been in, but it's a beautiful piece of furniture. It has a big surface. It has has big drawers and it gives me a degree of pleasure because the wood has a kind of a certain warmth to it a feel to it and i find that ikea stuff with its sharp edges and its sense of temporariness it's a, it's a little like setting your, your office up in the space under the stairs it, it feels like a kind of halfway measure how important to your mental health and i presume your physical health as well is natural light in all of this yeah, I would say extremely. I mean, I think it's one of the problems that, that people have in offices, actually, is that they're often quite a long way from a window. I mean, the reason modern offices, modern office buildings have plate glass floor-to-ceiling windows is to try and get the light, drag the, the light as deep as possible into the, uh, into the heart of the building. But it's rare in a big office that you will be near a window. And um, for me, it's extremely important. I mean, I've got to say, I don't have much of a view. I live in a little 1960s brick close, but I can see a big expanse of sky. I can see the, the trees, uh, the leaves coming out, the, the, the flowers blossoming. Uh, it's mostly park carts, frankly, so it's not the most beautiful view. But I've, I've planned my window still, so it's a certain height, so it blocks out most of the park cars. But to be able to see the weather, to be able to see the, the time of day, the setting sun, all this stuff is, is, is important. And I think it does, it does create a kind of link with the natural rhythm of the day in your, in your brain somehow. Edwin Heathcote, architecture critic with the Financial Times. Something a little more spiritual now. You may remember that last January I paid a visit to the Heritage Centre at the Convent of Mercy in Charleville. There I met the curator, Sister Bernadette Maria, a lady who believes in and loves her work immensely. It was a most enjoyable, interesting and informative visit. Sister Bernadette has a wonderful and positive outlook on life, and I thought that she would make an excellent guest on the programme this evening. Little did we know back then how all of our worlds would be turned upside down in the space of two short months. Yes, John, indeed, that was a wonderful visit. And indeed, I was inundated with calls and with uh, callers after that programme. So I'm grateful to you for putting that on air. And little did we think, indeed, that uh, the world would change so much in a couple of weeks. You know, we're really in uncharted territory, aren't we? At the moment, uh, we're, we're facing challenges that we never faced before. But I suppose we're all in a state of collective vulnerability, really. And the whole globe is disrupted. Uh, by this virus. You know, it has brought terrible suffering. It has brought death. 
and loss of loved ones, loss of jobs. Uh, there are families separated because of travel restrictions. You know, people can't get home from foreign countries. And then there's the sickness and the exhaustion and the uncertainty about the virus itself. And I think that's causing a lot of anxiety about health and health-related matters and about the economy, about exams. You know, it has turned the world upside down. And then I suppose that we're bombarded with the media then... You know, the enormity of the news feeds can be overwhelming. We all watch the nine o'clock news at night and it is always um, telling us of the deaths and the number of cases detected. And that's, uh, that's very upsetting. So I think there's a huge need for us to focus on what is rather than what if. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And put our trust in God. Absolutely. To put our trust in, in a loving God. And I think, I suppose, the message of Jesus, like not to be worried about tomorrow, to take today on its own merits. And then the mystics and the poets have, have consoled us as well. I was reading something by Julian of Norwich, an English mystic there recently, and she said, all will be well and all will be well and all manner of things will be well. And I think we have to believe that, you know, the poets and the mystics do give us hope, I think, at this time. Now, you have a poem entitled The Good News, is it? I have. And yeah. I got this poem. I'm reading a little bit more poetry now since the virus began. And I have this book called Soul Food. And one of the poems that I really liked that I hope your listeners will enjoy is called The Good News. They don't publish the good news. The good news is published by us. We have a special edition every moment, and we need you to read it. The good news is that you are alive, and the linden tree is still there, standing firm in the harsh winter. The good news is that you have wonderful eyes to touch the blue sky. The good news is that your child is there before you, and your arms are available, hugging as possible. But they only print what is wrong. Look at each of our special editions. We always offer the things that are not wrong. We want you to benefit from them and help protect them. The dandelion is there by the sidewalk, smiling its wondrous smile, singing the song of eternity. Listen, you have ears that can hear it. Bow your head, listen to it. Leave behind the world of sorrow and preoccupation and get free. The latest good news is that you can do it. Beautiful. I think it's lovely because uh, it is giving us a little message that we can do it. Sister Bernadette Maria from the Convent of Mercy in Charleville, and we'll return there again later in the programme. But right now, let's go over the county bounds to the village of Kilgarvan in County Kerry. Independent TD Michael Healy Ray has words of wisdom, encouragement and positivity for all listening this evening. Like us all, he agrees that we are, of course, at present in uncharted waters. I mean, this whole situation is like something. It's like a bad dream that somebody would have a nightmare and then wake up in the morning and realize, well, everything is all right. But the only thing is when people wake up now in the morning, unfortunately, we are living through this. This is the situation we have to deal with. And uh, the only thing that I keep saying is that the Irish people are very resilient. Uh, People are strong. But at the end of the day, and the one thing that we have to remember about this Very sadly, many families are being affected, number one, and most importantly of all, with the loss of of family members, and also illness coming into our house, and the dread of illness coming into our house, which of course is of paramount worry and concern to everybody, and, uh, and that is a big worry and concern, and that is what 
everybody is trying to strive against and to ensure that people don't get the illness. And if they do, that they have a successful uh, outcome out of it. Despite how difficult this is, it's very important, it's vital that people take a, a positive attitude and believe that we will get through this. Well, the one final message that I'll give you, and this might sound a little bit unusual, but when people wake in the morning and wake as early as you can, and even if work isn't there in the way it was before, still rise out as early as you humanly possibly can in the morning and face that day with confidence and with a smile on your face. Whatever type of work, People might say, oh, well, you know, I've nothing to do. There is no such thing in this world as nothing to do. There is plenty to do. Use this as an opportunity. Thanks be to God if the people around you and yourself are healthy. Tear at some type of work, anything, anything at all. Tackle the back garden or get a bucket of paint somewhere and paint a wall or do things that you might never think of doing before if you don't have anything to do for yourself. Help somebody that does need something done. But obviously, again, I'm saying all of this in the context of keeping within the rules and regulations that are there, which we all have to abide by. But do something. Do something productive. And uh, even if it was... To study something, say, for instance, if a person was not of the physical ability to be able to do a physical type of work, well, use your mind in some way that you might have had a chance to use your mind before. There are millions and millions of brain cells inside in between everybody's two years. Use as many of them as you possibly can in every way you possibly can. And like I say, whether that's studying something new that you might have interest in but never had a time to, to, to use your head in that direction before, do that. And make sure that you use this so that you'll always look back and say, well, it was an awful time, but at least I got something done. People might even write a book. People might even write a book. And you know, when I was able to write a book or two, <laughs> anybody can do it. Michael, lovely talking to you. God bless you. Thank you. And thank you very much, John Green, for the opportunity. And hello to all your nice listeners. On Where the Road Takes Me this evening, we've invited a number of people that you have met previously on the programme to offer observations, but most importantly, words of positivity, as we all endeavour to get through a fairly tough and, for some, traumatic time in our lives. There's plenty more to follow in parts two and three.
Our programme this evening attempts to offer hope and positivity to people during the current pandemic or crisis. You're hearing from people that you have met previously on the programme, but this evening they are giving their observations and how they are dealing with the virus and how it has affected their daily lives. But the theme of the programme is offering positivity and hope. In the Bandon Parish, the parish priest here is Father John Kingston, and like all of our contributors to the programme this evening, he agrees that we are in unknown territory. This is a challenge the likes of we have never encountered before. Certainly is, John, like it's a new field for all of us and for, for us in the, in the parish here in Bandon, but equally in the church, it's unprecedented whereby our, the nature of our ministry was very much reaching out to people, being in contact with people in their moments of joy and of celebration, but also in their moments of sadness, particularly around sickness and death and the funeral ceremonies. And now uh, that is cut off from the point of view that it cannot be carried out in the way that a priest would like to be with his people. I was going to ask you that actually, to talk to me about how all of this has changed your daily routine. Well, first of all, it's important for me to have a routine because so often people would feel that say, oh look, we're cocooned and we cannot do this and cannot do that, but we still need to live and we still need to have a routine in our lives. Getting up in the morning, getting ourselves organized and just keep ourselves occupied. But for me, um, prayer is an important part of it. I have more time to pray, I have more time to reflect, but equally each evening up to now, we have been able to have mass, to live stream our mass to the people at seven o'clock each evening and uh, at weekends also. So like that, that is a tremendous way and means of keeping in contact. And the response from that has been something phenomenal, something like 44, 1,100 people are connecting with our uh, Facebook page and then there's something like 27,300 people who have engaged in the live streaming of our masses. So at least we're not cut off from people and hopefully that we're offering them uh, a sense of uh, the presence of God and that God is with them through unprecedented time. It's a pretty difficult time for many, many people, but people that would spring to mind would be people who are bereaved at the moment, particularly tough for them. It's, it's awful dreadful because uh, so often like you know when a death occurs and uh, one thing the family want is to be there at that moment to hold the hand of their loved one to say to them I love you and I'm with you and we're praying for you and not being able to be physically present to them is devastating and again then when it comes to the funeral rites of not being able to uh, have people around you to sympathize with you to hold you, to uh, physically connect with you. It, it is difficult and very difficult. I know now through RIP and people uh, can express their condolences um, and uh, there are some beautiful tributes being paid to people, but still it's a help, but it doesn't fill that void that is there of not being able to have a traditional wake and funeral and mass. There was so much talk in the past about the pros and cons of opening pubs during Good Friday. Now, the pubs have been closed for a number of weeks. In the village of Liscarroll in North Cork, poet and farmer Philip Egan is also a publican. I asked him how his patrons up there are coping with the lockdown, which also includes their local hostelries. 
Right, say, John O, if you had, if you had one of the old priests from the 40s or 50s or all now going around the village with pioneer pins, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this would be that chance now to make, to make up lost ground, I'd say, for the last 30 years. Now, look, I've, I, I try to keep in touch with a lot of them. Uh, I was talking to one of my friends the other day, and he said he was talking to a friend of his. He said the very minute the pubs will open, he'll be galloping down the road to them, you know? Look, John, there are more important things in life, I suppose, than pubs at this point in time. In a strange way, uh, by pure coincidence, I'm reading a book at the moment. It was the book that was written by Tommy Reichenthal. I was a boy in Belson regarding his time in the concentration camp uh, uh, during the war, you know. Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, you know, what those people went through at the time, now that doesn't make it any easier for a person with a big family in a flat above in Cork City or Dublin with, with young children around at this stage. But, you know, at least at the moment, the shops are full with food. We're able to get around, uh, even though it's in a constricted manner. And people are, you know, generally speaking, able to live from day to day. They have their television, they have one thing and the other that's not taken from them. So how are my, my buddies coping that are not coming to the pub? I'm sure in their missus, some of them are Obviously, would be used to the banter the same as myself in the pub and the news and whatever. So I'd say, you know, they are missy the same as myself. But with the help of God, it will, it will, um, things will turn around in a month or two. Yeah, I ask that, of course, with uh, tongue in cheek, because you're right in what you say. There are more important things uh, than pubs. For instance, what about elderly people living in the Liscarroll area? Elderly people living alone and who have no transport. How are they coping? Well, like like in many other places, the DGA are helping out. Uh, anyone that wants any. Anything, there is no problem that way. The postman is helping out and we're all doing a little bit, you know, either dropping off papers or dropping off food or whatever. And um, I suppose in a lot of ways, that is one of the good things that has come out of this pandemic from the point of view that there is this comradeship and this community spirit that has come right from the top down throughout the country and maybe has given people uh, another chance to reflect on values in life as we go on. You know, when, when, when you actually think about it, you know, even, even the Donald Trump and all of these people, they're constantly on about waging war with Korea and this and that and the other and talking about the arms race and whatever and this pandemic has brought the good and the bad to their knees you know and um, we're, we're all on the one boat at this stage and um, so look uh, we value the people greatly in our own local communities well the elderly the elderly people and um, I suppose one thing really that that, that, that strikes me um, John more than anything about this is the funerals we lost a, lot, a great community man there now and a very respected man in our community Tyke Donovan and, uh, and he was suddenly able to go to his funeral or, or to um, or to you know meet his family and sympathise with them and I suppose part of the great tradition in Ireland always has been the sort of um, the comradeship and the support around the funerals you know and I have heard some very sad stories about funerals one in Cox City yesterday a friend of mine told me that um, the husband died from, from the from the COVID-19 and his wife and family were housebound and they had to look at the hearse passing the window from inside in the kitchen you know mm-hmm. so that is heart-wrenching and that, and, and that is extremely tough Philip Egan in Liscarroll, and we'll return there again later in the programme. But now back to Charleville once again, to the Convent of Mercy, to meet Sister Bernadette Maria. You know, the one thing we Irish have in our armoury is a spirit of resilience, and it has helped us survive down through the years. Sister Bernadette Maria says that we should also draw inspiration from the likes of Anne Frank and Nelson Mandela. And that spirit of resilience is deep within us, and I think it's in our genes. Because if we look at history, if we look at Irish history exactly here, uh, we survived the Black Death or the bubonic plague uh, when thousands died. 
we survived several famines. Everybody is familiar with the Black 47, but there were many, many other famines uh, during that century. The Irish survived the typhus, the very bad cholera of the 1830s, and then it's just over 100 years since the Spanish flu claimed 23,000 lives in Ireland and seemingly 800,000 were infected. So, you know, we have survived all of that as a nation and we've survived invasions, penal laws, wars, world wars. So in spite of all that has gone through and in spite of all that is happening, death and loss are in the air, but at another level, life is teeming all around us. And I think we must not lose sight of that light that a dawn follows every night. So, judging by what you say, it is vital here to be positive and to keep our hopes very much alive. Absolutely. And to keep this time of cocooning in perspective. Um, I was reading some of the diary of Anne Frank lately, and most of your listeners would be familiar with um, Anne Frank. Um, And we think of the time when she and seven others uh, had to hide in an attic for almost two years. And they stayed there literally trying to remain undiscovered just to stay alive. And then in our own lifetime, we remember Nelson Mandela. I actually remember the day that he was released from prison. And he had spent about 27 years in isolation. He had no phone. He had no luxuries. Just his hope kept him alive. So I I get inspiration from both of those because I suppose we can all do our part and keep everyone safe and just spend these couple of weeks at home. Do you know, we're not stuck at home. We're actually safe at home. Someone sent me that little text message the other day and I thought one more can change our attitude so much. We're safe at home and that's what, uh, that's what we need to remind ourselves of at this time. All right. Now, you have another poem now and is this one written by John O'Donoghue? Yes, John O'Donoghue wrote this poem. It's in a book, uh, a book of blessings. And it's lovely because though John is now dead quite a while, uh, this poem is very relevant for today. This is the time to be slow. Lie low to the wall until the bitter weather passes. Try as best you can not to let the wire brush of doubt scrape from your heart all sense of yourself and your hesitant light. If you remain generous, time will come good and you will find your feet again on fresh pastures of promise where the air will be kind and blushed with beginnings. So I think that's absolutely beautiful because I think the wire brush of doubt can easily scrape at our hearts at this time, can't it? Mm-hmm, absolutely, yeah. And that John O'Donoghue is John O'Donoghue, Adam Cora, is it? Exactly. Yeah. Buried up in County Clare. Yeah. Now, I like this one, Surges. Surges of love and kindness. Talk to me about that. Well, surges of love and kindness. I think, aren't we very aware of the way the Mehel spirit has uh, thrived in Ireland across the communities over the last few weeks? People are demonstrating great empathy. And I think we're almost galvanised into looking out for one another. You know, though we're in isolation, we're not alone. 
And I think this is one of the great advantages of uh, social media, whether it is um, WhatsApp or phone calls or text messages. We're so um, well able to uh, check in with each other and with our neighbours and they with us. And I think that's, uh, that's one of the great ways that we can express our kindness. And then I think there's a huge goodwill and appreciation directed towards the health workers and all of those who are providing the essential services. You know, the night that we went out to our doors and we clapped for the doctors and nurses and carers and cleaners and cooks, and I include our own staff who come in here faithfully to us uh, in the convent, and they're wonderful people who keep the show on the road. And then we have to think of uh, the law enforcement personnel because they are making life easy. Sometimes they have to stop people going on unnecessary journeys or maybe break up parties, but they are also helping to keep us alive. And where would we be without the supermarkets and the shops and the pharmacists and the postal workers? You know, I think they have gone the extra mile. I see the um, delivery vans passing here regularly, taking the food and supplies to people who are not able to go out shopping. The postmen are delivering the newspaper to people who have requested it. And I think they are all surges of love and kindness, really, aren't they? Finally, in part two. In most office desks, you will find that the occupier has a photograph of a husband, wife, partner, fiancé, parent or grandparent. Some may be even vain enough to have a photograph of themselves. So, is this a good idea if you're working from home? Let's find out from the expert. Edwin Heathcote, he's been working from home during his entire working career. He's the architecture critic with the Financial Times newspaper. But first, let's find out how vital is it to have a good coffee maker as part of your office itinerary. I would say, uh, for me, the coffee maker is uh, is absolutely hypercritical. One of the things that people will miss when they're working at home is a good coffee. People have got used to going to a you know a, a little a takeaway coffee and bringing their uh, cup back to the office, or um, uh, having a, a strong espresso in the afternoon, or, or a milky latte, or whatever it is, a flat white. And and I think that's become a kind of comfort for people, a little a little treat during the day. Uh, and I think if you're able to replicate that little piece of comfort at home, that makes a big difference. If you're stuck drinking kind of bad instant coffee, it, you know, there's a, again, it's, it's one of these feelings of, 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 that you're missing out on something, which is, which is not good. Working from home should be a relative pleasure. And would you advise to have all these items within your office rather than using it as an excuse to go and boil the kettle in the kitchen to move away and uh, get a break, so to speak? No, I think actually I think that the, the coffee machine should be in the kitchen. That's fine. I think that's <laughs> the six meters I have to walk is probably exactly the right amount. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, Edwin, most people at work in their office will have a photograph of their husband or their wife or their partner and the kids as well. How advisable is that to do likewise at home? Uh, well, this is this is something I got in a bit of trouble for. Uh, there were quite a few letters about this to the FT because I wrote, you know, as you say, if you're in the office, you might well have your your kids, your grandchildren, your your wife. Uh, uh, sitting there looking back at you in your home office you really don't need to you need to remember you're at home it's not the office you can just uh, open the door and see them and wave you really don't need their on the desk and that is part two of where the road takes me this evening but to get along part three awaits you in a few moments sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. It's part three of Where the Road Takes Me this evening on C103, the third and final part of our positivity programme. Or, or let's look at some of the bright sides of this as best we can. Well, according to Sister Bernadette Maria from the Convent of Mercy in Charleville, this lockdown has given families the opportunity to spend some time together. Families who up to now have been leaving and arriving home at all different hours of the day, and so missing out on quality time together. It's another poet. We'll describe that in a poem that was written way back in 1869, reprinted during the Spanish flu, but it could have been written last week. The author is given as a Kathleen O'Mara. I never actually heard of her. And the poem is online and I'll read it. I think it's a beautiful piece. Again, it could have been written a couple of weeks ago. And the people stayed at home and read books and listened. And they rested and did exercise and made art and played and learned new ways of being and stopped and listened more deeply. Someone meditated, someone prayed, someone met their shadow and people began to think differently and people healed. And in the absence of people who lived in ignorant ways, dangerous, meaningless and heartless, the earth also began to heal. And when the danger ended and people found themselves, they grieved for the dead and made new choices and dreamed of new visions and created new ways of living and completely healed the earth just as they were healed. Couldn't that have been written last week or the week before? It sure could. It sure could. And another thing, community spirit, that has expanded and taken another step as well. Neighbours now checking on each other. Wasn't it lovely? The Mm. other night there was a video clip shown of uh, some housing estate where somebody projected old films and old photographs onto the gable end of a house. And we saw neighbours at a social distance, of course, from their gardens watching this. I thought it was absolutely fabulous. Here on Holy Saturday night, as all over the country, we lit the candles on the windows. Uh, as a kind of a tribute to the frontline workers. You know, these positives need to be honoured and these people need to be thanked because they are doing a wonderful job to, uh, to keep us all safe and we very much appreciate them. And another thing we have in our favour as well, or at least we did up to today, I know it's sunny up where you are at the moment, but the wonderful weather we've been having. Oh, isn't it a blessing? Mm. The weather is a real gift at the moment because beauty is all around us. We were saying the other night, if this virus had hit us in the month of October and November, can you imagine the dreariness of the wet nights? Whereas now beauty is all around us and nature is alive. The swallows have actually arrived here and the birds are chirping and the crows are building. It's just beautiful and the gardens are ablaze. And so many of my friends that I've been talking to on the phone have been telling me they were out in the garden as I have myself. Gardens are just beautiful and the trees are beginning to leaf too. So that all gives us hope. 
hope, I think. You know, that's nature telling us we will survive, we will get through it. Right, and from an ecological point of view, the planet is resting from overconsumption. All this toxic air seems to have disappeared, which can't be bad. Absolutely. And I think if you look at the stars at night, they seem to be much brighter already, even after five or six weeks when the pollution levels have come down. And I'm sure some of our uh, listeners saw that lovely um, clip one night on when the fish had come back into the canals in Venice. It was very early on in the uh, pandemic here of Italy were a few weeks ahead of us. But to see the fish, I couldn't believe it back in Venice. Dolphins have returned to the coast of Italy. Uh, swans are back in the, in the rivers and lakes. And really, I suppose nature is reclaiming its space. Another night, we were shown the geese and the little goslings uh, crossing the tarmac in Tel Aviv airport because the flights were grounded and they had come back to what would have been the territory of generations of geese before them. Isn't it wonderful? It's absolutely wonderful. But I suppose we humans, we had encroached on the territories of other living beings and we had destroyed their habitats and put their survival at stake. You know, I suppose we remember the universe is for all of us and it's important that we learn, or maybe we learn now, to coexist with nature because nature can find extreme ways of reclaiming its space. You know, quite a lot of people are reading and turning to poetry during these lockdown days. On December 2nd last, at the Charleville Park Hotel, Philip Egan, farmer, publican and poet, launched his fourth book of poetry entitled A Verseman's Harvest. The launch was attended by Limerick Hurling Manager John Kiley, Bihalamara Hurtick and Sonia O'Sullivan, who was also honoured for her sporting achievements. In the past, publicans had two days off to look forward to, Christmas Day and Good Friday. This poem from the book takes us back to the days in Liscarroll when his father ran the pub, which also doubled as a shop as well. The poem concerns a customer who either wasn't aware of or didn't care about honouring Good Friday. Good Friday was one of the nights that he used to have off on the bar and, and Christmas, Christmas night, of course. But on this particular Good Friday night... My father was in the bar, and the person who didn't act, <laughs> didn't act in the door of the bar from one end of the year to the other knocked on the hall door about 10 o'clock at night <laughs> looking for a packet of razor blades and a tin of sardines. <laughs> so I can tell you one thing, my father wasn't best pleased in the kitchen. So I have written a little poem, uh, Good Friday uh, is, is this week, a little poem called Night Off regarding that incident, and it goes as follows, John. On that Good Friday night with the shop closed... Father looked forward to an evening's rest. That solemn day the faithful were supposed to go to church with their fate manifest. Dead read all night, not bothered by the bells that summoned him to bar and shop each day. This was the turmoil now he wished to quell on the one night when people stayed away. The knock on the hall door pierced like a spear and disturbed him from the peace of his book. All bothered and denied he did appear as once more the door in the lintel shook. A packet of razor blades, if you please, and give me a tin of sardines as well. It was my father's duty to appease, regardless of the ringing of the bell. And I can tell you one thing, he wasn't a happy man. I bet not. And are, are you still selling the, the razor blades and the sardines? <laughs> no, we, our shop is gone, I'm afraid. Uh, <laughs> the shop is gone. Those are the, those are the days. Like those are the days, John, that every, every village, we had seven shops and seven, as I told you before in the previous interview, seven shops and seven um, pubs in the scattered at time. Now we're down to two pubs and, and, and one shop. So it is, 
different times. But um, another poem, John, that you might like to hear, and now if any readers out there, especially people living in their own, I'd be delighted to give five free copies of the book. If anyone just gets in touch with me, I'll post it in free of charge and everything, John. This is a time that people on their own might like a bit of very readable poetry, and I'll be delighted to give five copies if anyone wants to contact me. The poem that I'll read you before you go is, this was a saying my father had as well always long ago when any of us would face challenges in life. He had always a saying, this too will pass, you know? Mm-hmm. So this is a poem that I wrote for my last collection, 100 Selected Poems. It's called This Too Will Pass. And it's most apt at this time because lacuna of day, this pandemic too will pass. All pal, your head is bent and low. There's weight upon your back. You look so weary as you go. The clouds above are black. You dread tomorrow as you stare into the looking glass. Try your best to become aware. Old pal, this too will pass. You lack the will to climb the hill. You have no wish to smile. You're feeling gloomy in the chill. Yet you can't walk a mile. You feel alone, stuck to the spot. The dullest in the class. The storm passes on, does it not? Old pal, this too will pass. Observe the mood like you can watch yourself across a room. Then see it absorbed like a splotch, being cleansed by a broom. Then watch the darkness turn to light like snowflakes at Christmas. For sure, as summer's days are bright, old pal, this too will pass. So, John, I suppose like everything in life, it's a challenge that we all face. And with the passing days and the passing months, Hopefully a vaccination will be got for it and we look back on this as a challenge that we faced up to and that we overcame with greater comradeship and spirit. Well, there was a little bit of good news last week when we learned that the virus will not now have a peak and was beginning to level off. But everybody's concerns during the week were directed towards those working in and, of course, resident in our nursing homes. Bandon Parish Priest Father John Kingston shares those concerns. And again, for the staff in nursing homes who are doing their utmost, like, you know, it's, uh, it impinges on so many people, on the, the person who is sick or who has contracted the, uh, the virus, on their relatives, not, but not they not being able to visit them or see them. And then for those who are caring for them in unbelievable and exceptional circumstances. So, like, it is impinging on many, many people, like, and, it's, uh, and they need our prayers, they need our support insofar as we can give it. And I think that was brought home to everybody, bear in mind the tremendous work being done by the healthcare professionals. Two healthcare professionals or people died as a result of this virus in Kilkenny and that that really brings it home to you as to the tremendous work they're doing and the risk they're taking. Well that that is true John, like the risks they're taking are unbelievable and they they take all the necessary precautions within within their uh, their workplace to ensure that they are safe and that the patient is safe. But like um, these things unfortunately happen and it's uh, it's terrible like that two people in the one um, uh, nursing environment have died of the virus yes and finally father the lockdown at the moment is affecting many people and especially there is concern for people's mental health but on a positive note do you live in hope that we will get back to some semblance of normality soon certainly hopefully that things will begin to loosen up a bit after may the 5th we're being told that it will be gradual and that's okay 
but uh, I would certainly have uh, a great concern for those who are on their own, who cannot get out, but whose lifestyle needed them to get out and to be with people because of their mental well-being. But the reassuring thing is that the agencies who provide support to um, to people with uh, a mental uh, concern, they are still up and active, like, uh, like the Samaritans, Pieta House and the various voluntary organisations. They are still active. They're at the end of a phone. And again, like what I, what I spend my day doing is very often connecting with people, ringing them and uh, just being there for them, whether it's a case of a bereavement or somebody with a mental health issue. But the important thing is that we stay in contact and that one of the early catchphrases was, this will pass. And I think things, as you said, John, things have plateaued and hopefully that we'll get back to some form of normality in the not-too-distant future. Let's hope so, and with God's help. Father, thank you very much for joining me. Not at all, John. Thank you. The final word this evening in our Positivity programme comes from Sister Bernadette Maria at the Convent of Mercy in Charleville. Sister Bernadette believes that we may possibly and hopefully emerge from this with a better frame of mind and a more favourable outlook on life. You know, the savour, the joys, smell the roses, enjoy a hug now, which we're not able to do at the moment. Just to be grateful. And I think this is presenting us with a chance to build a better world. And that would be my hope, that it will be a better world. Now, to finish, you have a message from Pope Francis. I have. Pope Francis put this piece on the internet early on, and I think it's absolutely beautiful. Tonight, before falling asleep, think about when we will return to the street, when we hug again when all the shopping together will seem like a party. Let's think about when the coffees will return to the bar, the small talk, the photos close to each other. We think about when it will all be a memory. The normal will seem an unexpected and beautiful gift. We will love everything that has so far seemed futile to us. Every second will be precious. Swims in the sea, the sun until late, sunsets, toasts, laughter. We will go back to laughing together. Strength and courage, Pope Francis. Isn't it a beautiful message of hope? It is indeed. A lovely message of hope. And I hope everybody will take it on board and be of comfort to the people listening at the moment. And please, God, and this will all pass. Sister, as always, thank you so much. I appreciate the amount of work you've put into this and the research. And uh, thank you very much for joining us. It was my joy and pleasure. And John, thank you for the many wonderful programmes that you present to us. We really appreciate it. Well done. Thank you. One man who I wish we also had the pleasure of on the programme this evening was Bishop Paul Colton, Church of Ireland Bishop of Cork, Cloyne and Ross. Bishop Colton felt that as he had been on C103 recently, he may be repeating what he had already said. I hope to speak to him in a future edition of Where the Road Takes Me. Next week's edition, my friends, you do not want to miss. A musician and a singer who was with a band who had eight number one records. He provided the vocals on five of them. This guy is an old favourite with everybody. But in the meantime, my thanks to everybody who joined me on the programme, to Graham Martell who was on sound, and of course to you, as Michael Healy Ray referred to you as the nice listeners. Until Sunday evening next, have a safe and healthy week. From myself, John Green, do take care and goodbye for now.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.